This episode of Earl Grey is brought to you by Audible.com, offering more than 180,000 titles for smartphone, tablet, and desktop. To get a free audiobook of your choice and help Trek FM at the same time, visit audibletrial.com slash trekfm. And also by Enterprise in Space, an international program of the nonprofit National Space Society. Find out how you can help science and education and become a virtual crew member aboard the NSS Enterprise Orbiter by visiting enterpriseinspace.org. Hi, this is Robert O'Reilly. My name is Gowron. Honor to you and your house. You're listening to Trek FM. Theo Greyhawk. Hello and welcome to another cup of Earl Grey Trek FM's dedicated podcast to the next generation. I am your host Richard Marquez and joined with me today is dolled up Amy Nelson and the amazing Justin Ozer. How you guys doing today? Well doing pretty good. I guess I had to be dolled up since Richard this is our 100th episode on Earl Grey. Cheers to you. Oh, wait, wait, let me get my glass. Hold on. Here, 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 here you go. Here you go. Yeah, Clink. cheers. <laughs> oh, cheers. yeah. <laughs> I got water, but okay. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's been a wild Can ride. Can you believe so, yeah. it? Cheers. I know, right? Oh, it's been an amazing ride and looking for another 100 episodes with you. Yeah, congratulations, guys. That's a, that's a huge accomplishment, and thank you for letting me ride along for a lot of that. Okay. <laughs> Not quite a hundred, seventy something maybe. Yeah. But yeah, it's it's amazing, guys. We'll celebrate yes, for years we too. We'll okay. have a kegger or something <laughs> like that. <laughs> maybe, or maybe it'll be the RPG party. There you go. <laughs> there you it's go. Danger yeah. at the party. There. Yeah. <laughs> right out. Well, we're not talking about drinking, but um, yeah, this is our hundredth ep- or Amyson mine hundredth episode. Um, and, uh, for sure it's been a pretty crazy wild ride that, and that, um, that we, obviously we both love. Yes, we do. (laughs) So, but before we, before we go any further, uh, we need to talk about some, lots of Babel conference uh, feedback that you guys have been giving us and it's great. So we're just going to start off right away. So the first one that we're going to be talking about is Earl Grey 251 and that would be badass Jordy moments. Uh, Justin, do you want to start us off? Yeah, so Tim Han says, Not quite a badass Geordie moment, but a really memorable scene for the character was in Star Trek Insurrection when we got to see and witness his first ever sunrise, the way other humans do without the use of any visor or ocular implants. How his, re-ener- how his regenerated eyes start to well up really is a touching moment. Thank you, Tim. That That is a really great moment and something I really appreciate from Insurrection, which does exist, Richard, <laughs> especially for great moments like I don't that. remember that happening. Yeah. <laughs> It was really moving. You loved it. Yeah. <laughs> Joey Slowinski writes, I really like Justin Noser's pick of Jordy's interaction with Guinan during I Borg. I know you guys 
stayed away from the movies, but I have two from Insurrection that I'd like to bring up. First, in his quote, when the crew says they will join Picard in his fight, saying, how can I look at another sunrise knowing what my sight will cost these people? His integrity and self- selflessness is pretty badass, in my opinion. Also, when he and Riker are battling the Sona ships, he offers up the solution of ejecting the core to seal the subspace rift. He doesn't even wait for the command to eject the core. By the time Riker gives the order, he's already done it. I think that shows a huge growth in his confidence from the beginning of the series and shows that he knows how to fix the problem and will take care of it if it means saving all of their lives, orders or not. Well, Joey, those are great picks. And yeah, I agree. Definitely uh, when he's ejecting that core, that's a really good pick. Yeah, I hadn't even thought of those. And actually, I think in the thread, uh, there was a little video clip that was posted of the moment. And, you know, Riker's asking him if he's ejected the core. And he says, I already did. And I love that Riker has this little, like, smile on his face, like, I love you, Jordy, <laughs> for doing that. You saved us all. So, yeah, those are great moments. Again, from that movie that you don't acknowledge, Richard. It has some good moments. And maybe... I, 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 know, I know the listeners can't see this, but I'm rolling my eyes hard. <laughs> hey, we got, a, we got one coming up where you're going to have to talk about it all episode. <laughs> it's, it's like you're trying to torture me. <laughs> maybe? <laughs> maybe, yeah. Probably, yeah. <laughs> Just don't stretch my skin, all right? <laughs> we'll try, yeah. But those Sona, it might be time traveling to do something like that to you. We'll see. Right. (laughs) So Greg Malumbi said, uh, great selections. There weren't really uh, much to choose from uh, when it came to Jordy, but I still liked him as a character. Some selections that I had uh, that didn't make the cut. Jordy's trip to the bridge in Contagion. And also Jordy's comment about a blind man fixing the problem in Masterpiece Society. I never thought of it that I never thought about that one. I forgot about that one actually. One from Masterpiece Society? Master- right, the Masterpiece mm-hmm. Society, yeah. That's, that, that's a great one. And also like the bridge trip in Contagion, I had to remember what that was. That's when there's some stuff going wrong with the ship and Jordy I think the comms are down and Jordy has to get to the bridge to tell them what's wrong and and he goes in this wild ride in the turbo lift <laughs> before they kind of spits him out onto the bridge. So <laughs> he has to go through a lot just to deliver his message, I think. It's been a while since I've seen yeah. that one too. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I'll have to go back and uh, watch that one again. Hmm. Great picks. Mm-hmm. Great picks. So, um, like I said, we still have quite a bit of Babel Conference feedback. So we're going to move on to Earl Grey 252, and that would be favorite character moments from First Contact. Uh, Amy, would you like to start us off? Christopher Baca writes, I like the scene with Picard touching the Phoenix. I did the same thing when I saw the Galileo at Space Center Houston. You just wanted those shuttle doors to open and see Kirk, Spock, and McCoy walk out of them. Yes, very true. I've been to Space Center Houston, and it is just the massiveness, and to see it just right there, and you're like, yeah, I need to touch this thing. It's, it is a great moment. Yeah, for sure. And I I thought about that a little bit when I was rewatching First Contact, that Picard just has to have this tactile moment like he's touching history and he couldn't even touch it because because it was in a museum uh in his future so or in his present then but uh, yeah i think that's a great moment i think all of us would probably want to do that if we were going back to a historical moment just to feel like you're a part of it yeah 
confession time. Confession, confession? time? Yeah. Um, I what, touched what did you do the that Liberty you Bell. To? And you're not supposed to? At least to? you didn't lick it or something like that. I know, that. but it has signs everywhere, <laughs> and I'm like, I just really want to touch it. And so I was like looking around, and mm. I touched the Liberty Bell. And what? I can't think. No, what did it feel like? Like data? Were you picking up you yeah, know, the, the inconsistencies the and, the and irregularities in the metal? And no, I... <laughs> <laughs> there were some serious irregularities yes. in that metal. That's for sure. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's still around, so it couldn't have been that bad. <laughs> yeah, I can't think of anything I've ever touched that it's historical that you weren't that supposed I really to. Wanted to like t- you know museum. what I mean? Like that wanted to touch. Yeah. You know. I, I can't think know. of that either. Amy's the rebel oh, dear. for that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure there's something, but I can't yeah. think of one. <laughs> right. And I'm usually such a rule follower that it's that's why it's like ingrained in my memory because I'm like, oh my gosh, I totally broke the rules. <laughs> yeah. Wait, wait, are you saying we're, we're rule no, breakers? I was, but I'm usually <laughs> a follower, so. <laughs> <laughs> Hmm. Maybe we'll have to have Earl Grey confessions. (laughs) Of things we've touched that we weren't supposed to. (laughs) Mm. I don't know if there'll be enough for an episode. Yeah, historical things. (laughs) Maybe it would be like, if you were able to take a trip to the Enterprise D, what would you do? Mm. (laughs) What's the first thing you would touch or experience, you know? I'm sure most... Take out my shoes and, and feel ah. the carpet on my feet. <laughs> really? I'd go to the holodeck first. <laughs> no, I'll just say... I'll just, Walk around you, you in my robe because it's the Hilton in the skies. <laughs> <laughs> and it has like a little little monogram for your name yeah. in Enterprise D. Yeah. Uh, there you sure. go. <laughs> oh, boy. All right. So moving on. <laughs> so Johnson Lai says, love the discussion. So many great moments. One of my favorites is when Cochrane muses on how small our planet is after warp flight, and Riker says it's about to get a whole lot bigger. It reminds us both how small we are on the cosmic scale, yet how much promise we have. It encapsulates what Star Trek means to me. Thank you, Johnson. I think, yeah, that that is a great moment where Cochrane is just kind of overwhelmed by seeing the Earth from from space and that it seems so small, which I think is a reaction that a lot of people who've been to space have and really putting it into perspective. Uh, but also, yeah, Riker's comment is about to get a whole lot bigger. Like they're really going to journey out into the galaxy and find out there's so much more out there besides Earth. Yeah, it's, it is a really great moment. You know, I've always thought of that was the moment where Cochran changes his attitude and becomes that hero mm. that everyone worships. Um, mm. instead of the one where the Vulcans come. I just think that had so much impact, especially that, you know, Johnson pointed out, like you see it and it, I think it, that's the moment for me where Cochrane changes. Well, he meets the Vulcans after that. So maybe he's more open to really just appreciate that moment of contact. Right. Yeah. And, and all the stuff that he does afterwards. Yeah. It's a really good point. What do you think, Richard? Yeah, I could see that. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Okay. <laughs> I mean, really, he doesn't have any lines after after the whole flight and everything. And yeah. I guess, I mean, you, yeah, you, I could see that. You hear that. more from yeah. Lily after the flight, actually, and what it means, you know. Well, yeah, yeah but I mean, we, we always hear about, you know, Cochran, and, and really there was no, I mean... We do see him giving a Lily before that. No, there wasn't before that. Yeah, but then after that, I think the only time you really see anything from Cochrane is a little speech that that he gives in the Enterprise um, 
premiere, right? Yeah. So Patrick Carlin said, uh, it was Tony Robinson that mentioned about uh, the skin being from uh, from a crew member. That was something I n- uh, never thought of either. And then he put a green yeah. throw-up emoji <laughs> guy. I love it. You're right. Yeah. yeah, I was trying to remember what that was from. Thanks, Patrick. And I think it was from the, the patrons roundtable about spooky moments, which was a good one. But that must have really stuck in my mind because that's all I could think of when I saw that scene with the skin graph. Like, that's from an assimilated crew member. Yuck. Henson Lynch. <laughs> Probably. Maybe. Killed by the hand of Picard himself. Dick anyway. they are they are starting to do experiments on corpse now. <laughs> I don't think oh. that it necessarily had to be dead because for some of them they were just like taking off their arm and other parts and they could just take it from yeah. that. Maybe. So he's alive when he when they took it yeah. off. I think that's. Oh, that had to hurt. I mean, I think that's implied because in different parts of Star Trek, you see with the Borg where they're just like fitting something on their on their arm and they have to like take off sever part of the arm. It seems yeah. like which is. Yuck. All right, then. Yeah, let's move on. <laughs> uh, so many other ideas just came yes, into my mind, but okay. we're moving on. <laughs> hold them, hold them. <laughs> so we also got an email, and Justin, you want to read it for us? Yes, yeah, so we got an email from Rick Everson in the UK, who's written us before. Uh, so he says, Hi, Earl Grey crew. Just finished your episode on badass Geordie moments and enjoyed it as always. One of my favorite Geordie moments that I think qualifies as badass nobody mentioned, and that's in Descent Part 2. A corrupted data tortures Geordie, sticking massive long metal sticks into his brain. I know, more gross stuff. <laughs> and and Geordie, deprived of his visor, not only gets through the pain, but is able to instruct Troy and Picard how to build a device to make the pulse to reset data and is still trying to talk data down. That's badass to me. I'd struggle to do any of that. All the picks were great, and I am now wanting to rewatch The Arsenal of Freedom. Thanks for another great episode. And then he says, P.S., as Justin mentioned, timeless at the end. That bugs me because Jordy would have caught, caught them early on. No part of me can believe Ensign Kim can out-techno-babble Jordy for as long as they needed to get away for. Though it was nice to see Captain LaForge. <laughs> so thanks for, for both of those. You're right, in Descent Part 2 which I think I tend to think, eh, it's an okay episode. But yeah, Jordy is getting through all this horrific stuff to really do exactly what's needed. Very badass, I think. <laughs> yeah, to push through yeah. a pain like that, seriously. That's awesome. For sure. Yeah, yeah and unfortunately, Jordy does have his moments of being tortured and brainwashed and put through all kinds of stuff, right? Yeah, <laughs> poor Jordy. Okay, so on to the episode. Today we're going to be do- talking about uh, last episode. So this is part four. Um, and looks like uh, we've got a couple guesses. So, um, okay, so uh, the, the clue that we got, we, or, well, the snippet we gave you guys was the Crystal Skull by uh, Patrick Berry. And uh, Patrick Berry is uh, credited on the story uh, and script for Angel One. So, you know, the one where. Riker's pretty much half. Well, it's on the like matriarchal naked. planet, yeah, and you yeah, get to see one, his yeah. chest hair. Yeah, yeah, not not yeah. particularly well regarded. Amy's but. smiling. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know what you were gonna say. The one where Riker is like half clothed. <laughs> that one, yes. Yeah, that so, one. Yeah, that and one. We this have was another a good friend, Tim Robertson's his son, uh, cosplayed. Uh, that is Riker from oh, Angel One. Wow, does it fabulously. <laughs> Love it. Well, if it's possible, you have to share a picture in the Babel conference. Oh, yes. Because I took a picture with Definitely him uh, when I was Troy. Oh, wow. Nice. Okay. Nice. Yeah. 
But Angel One is not what we're talking <laughs> no, about today. No. <laughs> right. No, 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 no. <laughs> so, so yeah, we did put it out there to see what people thought the Crystal Skull was about. Uh, <laughs> so, Richard, do you want to read the first guess we had in the Babel Conference? Sure. Uh, what Huntington said, Picard and his crew traveled back in time and encountered the people who made the Crystal Skulls and in the process encountered Indiana Jones. I had a feeling that was going to come it up. Come I was up like, as soon as I saw Crystal Skull. Many, it, it came up many times. Of course, a reference to Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skulls from 2008, which is like 20 years later. But still, I mean, there were tons of references because that's the first thing people thought of. Right. So we'll see. Maybe Patrick Berry was a time traveler and uh, knew to include Indiana Jones in that. Well, I mean, Indiana Jones is already out, but we'll see. <laughs> yeah. Well, Christopher Lutz guesses... Picard takes the Enterprise to answer a distress call from an unknown source. Turns out it's Vosh. She has discovered a long, the, a long sought-after Iconian artifact nicknamed the Crystal Skull after the Old Earth legend. It's a depiction of the Iconian god and is said to give whoever possesses it awesome power. Other rogue elements threaten Vosh and want the artifact for themselves. Shenanigans ensue and the Enterprise itself briefly the Enterprise itself briefly wields its power before it is lost forever. It was a second appearance for Vosh before Cupid was developed. That's got to be it. Hmm. I, yeah, hmm. it's very interesting. Uh, we'll, we'll see if that's that's what it is, but very well thought yes. out, Christopher. <laughs> he, for, he forgot the natives, you know, try to kill him. Well, that's in the <laughs> shenanigans in Sue part. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah okay. <laughs> Well, we also had uh, Ben Tesh, who said, The Enterprise travels to a planet where an archaeology team has made a discovery. Picard leads the away team himself because, hey, archaeology is his thing. They've found a crystal skull. Picard picks it up and instantly vanishes, but no one else sees him vanish. Riker and company conduct an investigation, and it so happens that an old archaeology professor at Picard's had also found a crystal skull. But the old professor is held in disrepute because no one believes his story. The old professor claims when he touched the skull, he was transported to a large chamber where he met with giant aliens. Oh, wait, that's a Stargate SG-1 episode of the same name. Never mind. Ha ha. Ah, that's funny. <laughs> you guys are so creative with these guesses. But we'll see. Yeah. This came before Stargate. <laughs> so, Or maybe someone... No, <laughs> So uh, Bruce Gibson said, Lieutenant Barkley gets his head stuck in a dilithium crystal chamber. Oh, Bruce. And ends up I with a crystal skull. Yeah, <laughs> I can see that. It's pretty funny, Bruce. <laughs> well, we have Chris Jones guessing, the crystalline entity takes the form of a beautiful woman and attempts to commandeer the Enterprise, but her plans are sidetracked when she agrees to a date with Riker, and he teaches her a move he learned on Risa called the crystal skull. Very creative, wow. Chris. First of all, you know, our, our founder and publisher, Chris Jones, giving us a guess. That doesn't happen every day. <laughs> it's pretty funny just to think about. Yeah. <laughs> so thanks, Chris. <laughs> yeah, but I like the uh, crystalline entity inclusion there. Uh, yeah, that's, that's very creative. I wouldn't have thought about that at all. <laughs> uh, so we also had a couple of guesses from Twitter because I put it out there. So we'll go through those. Um, so at... C.J. Menning says, A crystal skull found on an abandoned alien ship is linked to those on Earth. First, the crew dismisses the crystal skulls as hocus-pocus. That is, until Rejack shows up, reprising his role from TOS in The Wolf in the Fold. Well, that would be really something. 
be an interesting callback. Yeah. You know, Red Jack, Jack the Ripper. <laughs> All right. Um, we have STRTRK1701 says, Crystal skull discovered and removed from an alien shrine. Crew starts having hallucinations where they reenact ancient earth sacrifices. They replace a skull and the visions subside. Turns out, turns out they were visions from when the skull was alive and had visited Earth on holiday. <laughs> All right. On holiday? Yeah. I think he was making a joke. It's, it's funny. <laughs> but, wow, we'll see if any of these are close. I mean, clearly, like, everyone's right that a crystal skull is in there somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> but how will it show up? And what will it do? And what will it do? And... What challenges will it provide to our crew? Okay, right? so Justin, you've kept the suspense long enough. Please share okay. with us this uh, plot summary of the Crystal Skull. All right, and as always, feel free to interject anything, guys, so it's not just me with one long stream of, of talking, but you know, we'll see what you think. Okay. All right, so here, here's the Crystal Skull. Arriving at the desert planet Balaxnu-7, located midway between Federation and Ferengi territory, the Enterprise is assigned the task of bringing supplies to an archaeological mission being led by Dr. Annette Baudreau. Elevating this mission above the mundane is the Doctor's announcement that she has discovered a lost city, which indicates that this world is actually Izol, capital planet of the vast and powerful Faran Empire, which fell into an abrupt and mysterious collapse over 8,000 years ago. An away team consisting of Riker, Data, Worf, Wesley, and Beverly. There's Wesley for you. All right. <laughs> Richard. Yep. And a med tech appear at the threshold of a pair of monoliths, which create a passage into the aforementioned city. Taking in their surroundings visually and via tricorder, Riker opens up a channel and the, with the Enterprise and instructs the transporter room to beam down the supplies. Moments later, five supply modules materialize just as Boudreau and two members from her team appear at the entrance. The woman's beauty, it's obvious, touches Riker. Now, I was a little confused when I first read this, but so they're beaming down stuff, and there are people that just kind of appear at the entrance that seem like they might be part of their team, including a woman whose beauty gets Riker's attention. Okay. Anyway. <laughs> so after introductions are over, she explains that a man named Roark was recently injured and she's concerned about him. When it's pointed out that Beverly is chief medical officer of the Enterprise, Boudreaux leads her and Riker through the entrance and into the subterranean room where the injured man lies. While the doctor is off taking care of him, Riker asks Boudreaux about Izol, but is told that her proclamations may have been premature. She may have been wrong. Before the commander can discuss the issue further, she becomes distracted and excuses herself. Shortly thereafter, Riker is walking through an underground tunnel where he encounters Data and Worf, who have overseen the transfer of supplies. Data is particularly intrigued by this discovery, explaining that a distant colony of the Faran Empire, which was stranded after it collapsed, was the Ferengi homeworld known as Banal. Hmm. Now, I think this is interesting. This is the first one where we have the Ferengi, and it's also kind of putting forward some history about the Ferengi, that they're part of some empire, and that their homeworld is called Banal instead of Ferenginar, which we find out later. So, hmm, yeah. Trying to build, build up some Ferengi history, which I think is interesting. Yeah. So this discovery could theoretically provide some tantalizing information pertaining to Ferengi culture. Reluctantly, Riker tells the android of Boudreaux's claim that she may have been wrong in making the announcement in the first place. 
His curiosity piqued, Riker excuses himself and makes his way down to the doctor's chambers, where he sees her sitting grasping a crystal skull. There it is. (laughs) While apparently in a meditative and ecstatic state. As Riker enters the room, she starts shouting that he should leave and not come back, but he refuses. What exactly is the skull, is what he wants to know. While ordering him out, she moves to put the skull in hiding, but Riker reaches out, touches it, and suddenly begins to smile as he pulls the skull from her hands. Mm. I just imagine, you know, one of those Riker smiles where it just like slowly becomes like a big smile. Yeah. So interesting. All right. So then all of Boudreaux's attempts to take the skull back prove fruitless. So she gives in and asks Riker if he's going to share it with her. He says that he will in his own good time and then starts to kiss her passionately. Needless to say, things aren't exactly right with the good commander. Hmm. Obviously. Well, I don't know, looking at some of those early episodes. (laughs) Well, I mean, he he does, like, have his his relationships and things, but mm, this seems a little more forceful or without someone's consent, so I think that's unlike Riker, maybe what I would say, but let's see where it goes. On the Enterprise Bridge, Geordi informs Picard that what appears to be a Ferengi ship is approaching. Looking to Troy for some kind of an answer, the Betazoid only tells him that she can feel obsession, but doesn't know where it's coming from or what it pertains to. Now, this, I think, contradicts what you hear later, that she can't read Ferengi, right? Yeah, Which that's maybe what I... Incons- mm-hmm. But yeah. she's feeling the... No, she's feeling the obsession from Riker. Okay. Yeah. I was thinking... Because she can't oh, read... No. Yeah, Ferengi, but she and yeah, she's like, I don't know where it's coming from, so. Oh, that's very that's very good. For, I, I assumed because the Ferengi ship was there, but it's actually right yeah. Oh, very good. <laughs> I know Troy. That's what she's feeling. Uh, yep. Okay. Well, we'll see if it stays consistent. <laughs> Considering all of this, uh, Picard contacts Riker, informs him of the Ferengi vessel, and states that the away team should be ready to beam up at a moment's notice. Back on the surface. Pedro is concerned that the Ferengi are out for revenge against them because of the historical value of this place. Riker tells her that everything is going to be fine as he places the skull in a leather bag and embraces her. Later, the two of them proceed to the subterranean chamber we had seen earlier, where they join the rest of the away and archaeological teams. Once there, Data begins to discuss the connections between Ferengi and the Fer- between the Ferengi and the Ferran Empire, as well as the philosophy of the Ferran's emperor, Doshin, who was actually a succession of rulers, all of whom took the same name and had one thing in common, the possession of a crystal skull said to have mysterious powers. I just want to put in something here because this is what I thought of when I was first reading it, but there's actually a Next Generation novel, I think from the 90s, called The Devil's Heart Mm. that has a similar kind of idea that it's not a crystal skull, but it's kind of this red crystal that different rulers and people have had that's led to some obsession over power so i thought that was interesting like the one ring yeah maybe a little like that (laughs) but i think that's common in a bunch of stories where there's this thing that has this power over people but anyway it made me think of that because i'd read that book recently so all of these emperors of Isil did a great deal of writing which aided in some part the formation of the ferengi society an additional fact supplied by the android is that the Ferengi took to Isil in the same way that Earth people took to Camelot, with the skull then being an equivalent to the Holy Grail. Turning his attention to Baudreau, he asks if she is all, at all familiar with the legend of the crystal skull, to which she responds in the affirmative, although it is her understanding that it was destroyed thousands of years ago. 
Picard contacts Riker, telling him that due to the denseness of the tunnels, the transporter is unable to lock onto the archaeologists, and the signal from the away team is extremely low. The Ferengi are still approaching, so they have to beam those people with communicators up first, and the rest must proceed to the surface, where sensors will be able to lock onto them. I think when they say communicators, they mean comm badge. Yeah. But, yeah. <laughs> the channel closed, Riker places his communicator on the injured man, and then asks Worf to place his on Baudreau, which the Klingon does. Although Wes wants to give his insignia to an archaeologist, his mother points out that the boy has never had any training in combat. Riker agrees. Ultimately, Wes, Beverly, a medtech, Boudreau, and the wounded man are beamed up, with Riker telling everyone that they're going to have to move up to the surface. Back on the Enterprise, the starship has received a communique from the Ferengi vessel captained by Zaeb, who claims that Picard is heading a, sp- a spy mission. Now, some of these Ferengi names don't sound like Ferengi names we hear later, like Zaeb doesn't really sound much like one, but I think this was really early on when they were developing the Ferengi. Mm-hmm. So Picard is actually commu- amused by the spy claim uh, and asks him how he came to this rather remarkable conclusion. Zaeb responds that they had picked up a transmission from a Federation agent named Baudreau, who bragged over her discovery of the crystal skull. This is followed by the proclamation that the planet now belongs to the Ferengi, and all members of the Federation had best vacated. She's a double Picard- agent. Mm-hmm. Uh, certainly seems like it. Yeah. <laughs> There's a lot of interesting stuff going on in this one. Picard counters that since his people were the first to chart this system, theoretically it should belong to the Federation. This is interrupted by Geordi, who announces the beam down of a Ferengi landing party. Turning his attention back to Zaeb, the captain warns warns that if any harm should come to anyone, the price extracted will be a high one. Making their way through the tunnels, Riker and his company run into the Ferengi landing party and the blue-skinned Kakiri warriors who level their weapons at our people. Now these blue-skinned warriors just kind of come from nowhere it doesn't really explain much about okay because i'm like yeah where yeah there's actually like a little note here that explains they they're kind of asian looking but i don't know they're creating some warrior race here (laughs) does it specifically say asian uh, looking it does well in in the parlance of the times it actually says oriental looking but that's that's the implication yeah 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 Yeah. (laughs) makes sense so the warriors level their weapons and Riker merely smiles in response. There's a lot of smiling here by Riker. <laughs> so the commander of the Ferengi team, whose name is Luug, <laughs> also another interesting Ferengi name, L-U-U-G, uh, tells Riker that he and his people are now prisoners of the Alliance and instructs them to turn over their weapons. Riker's response is to laugh as he confidently replies that he knows that the Ferengi have come for the crystal skull, an item which he had already obtained and hidden. Any moves on the part of the Ferengi or the accompanying warriors will cause Riker to trigger a thermonuclear device he has hidden in the underground realm. Hmm. Little connection to Indiana Jones with a thermonuclear device. But, <laughs> <laughs> but no no fridge to hide in. Uh, so, yeah, this is this is weird. Riker's saying he has, like, a nuclear device he's going to trigger. Yeah. Okay. Hmm. Like, yeah, I just... I just beamed down that nuclear device we have in the storage closet. Or is he just ship. bluffing? Uh, we'll we'll okay. see. <laughs> All right. So the commander adds that Picard must take part in the final negotiations, which will occur within the hour. Luug, not wanting to not wanting to chance losing out on the skull, agrees to Riker's terms. 
Turning his attention to Data, Riker tells him to move everyone else outside so they can be beamed up. The android is also instructed to have Captain Picard and Dr. Boudreaux beamed down in an hour. Once everyone but Worf has gone, Riker turns to the Klingon and instructs him to check on the device, which Worf, going along with Riker's plan, turns to do. Once he is alone, the commander turns back to Le'ug and tells him that he and Picard would be interested in some goodwill unofficial trading that would make the crystal skull seem like a mere trinket. Mm. He goes on to impress the alien by speaking of Ferengi philosophy, and as the conversation develops, there seems to be a chord struck between these two. Man, I'd love to see Riker talk about Ferengi philosophy. Yeah, right? <laughs> or I wonder what they thought Ferengi philosophy was uh, at this yeah. point. Rules yeah. of acquisition. I, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I think early in TNG, it was just their greedy, all the rules of acquisition and all that, then the, you know, the kind of holy treasurer kind of stuff comes later. Mm -hmm. But yeah, <clears throat> unfortunately, we don't have that dialogue they would have had for that. So on the bridge, Data has detailed Riker's instructions to Picard, who is confused by all of this. The only way to get the answers he needs is to beam down to the planet's surface. I don't know why he didn't just try to like touch his communicator and talk to Riker, but whatever. Maybe he thinks Riker's a little out of it right. or something based on what he's hearing and he has to go down. That could be because Riker is acting a little strangely. A little weird, yeah. So back on the planet, Worf compliments Riker concerning the way he handled the Ferengi, although he's a bit bothered by the fact that the commander had essentially gone against honor codes taken at the academy by lying to the Ferengi about possession of the skull and the thermonuclear device. Uh -huh. So it was a bluff, yep. <laughs> While this seems a serious point with the Klingon, Riker brushes it off, uh, chalking it up to a plan that he has, which will be explained to Picard as soon as the captain beams down. Changing the subject, he tells Worf to check some of the back tunnels to see if they might possibly lead to the surface so they have an escape route should something go wrong with the scheduled meeting. Shortly thereafter, Picard, Troy, Tasha, security agents, and Boudreaux appear in the underground chamber and are surprised to find neither Riker nor Worf anywhere. Now, of course, with Tasha, season one again. Yeah. A lot of these are season one, aren't they? The captain calls out, not realizing that Riker is currently in Boudreaux's quarters, the skull in his hands, and his expression betraying a meditative state. But Picard's voice cuts into his concentration, and he places the skull back in the leather shoulder bag, which he hides elsewhere. From there, he steps into the central hall, where everyone is waiting for him. Boudreaux runs up to him and wants to know if what she's heard regarding the Ferengi and the skull is true, but Riker merely smiles at her reassuringly. Hmm. He smiles a lot yes. in this one. <laughs> yeah. When Picard wants some answers, the commander sidesteps, stating that the two of them and Data will be the only ones involved in the negotiations. No security and no Betazoids. Mm. Oh, not trusting Troy, huh? Pedro will also join them as she has a working knowledge of the planet and its history. Back in sick bay, Roark comes to for a moment looking at Beverly and saying something about the crystal skull and that a woman must be stopped. Unfortunately, the doctor cannot make any sense out of this statement. We shift back underground where the group is about to be left alone. Before the others go, Riker approaches Deanna Troy and tells her that there is something he wishes to speak to her of. Feelings he wants to express that he has never been able to express before. Then Picard says it's time for them to proceed. Mm. Okay. <laughs> the remaining members of the group start making their way through the tunnel when Riker suddenly knocks out Data, no explanation given how, <laughs> and Boudreaux takes care of the captain. 
Wow. All right. Uh, maybe he knows about the on-off switch, which they wouldn't talk about until season two. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. Riker knocks out data. Okay. <laughs> so the communicators are taken from their uniforms as well as their phasers. Bedro is delighted, pointing out that they will have the skull to share between the two of them. Riker has other plans as he knocks her out as well. Oh, Definitely not the Riker we know, all this stuff. <laughs> um, leaving the area, he utilizes his phaser to create a cave-in that effectively seals everyone within. Riker moves back into the doctor's quarters where he retrieves the bag containing the skull and moves out of the area. Proceeding into the outer chamber, he encounters Worf, who is joined up with the security team, and explains that the Kakiri betrayed them and murdered Picard, Data, and Baudreau. Saying that they have no alternative, Riker has them beamed back up to the Enterprise. So Worf doesn't want proof of that? Okay. Yeah, wait a minute. <laughs> maybe that would have been addressed in a later draft. That seems a little weird. Yeah, it seems like maybe Worf would have protested and he would have had to knock out Worf too or something. I don't know. Yeah. But what... But Worf wasn't security chief. It was... That's true. It was Tasha at this point, but he's still an imposing Klingon. I don't know. Yeah, Mm -hmm. I don't know. Yeah. They had a lot to work out on that one. (laughs) I think so. (laughs) Back on the bridge, Worf is absolutely furious at at what has happened with the Ferengi. Riker does his best to placate him while ordering Geordi to raise the Ferengi captain. Zayab's image appears, and Riker angrily chastises him for the attack on personnel from the Federation. Naturally, the alien has no idea of what the human is talking about. Riker's curt response is that the Ferengi ship had better surrender within 10 minutes or it will be destroyed. The channel is closed. Hmm. (laughs) The ship is brought to red alert status and certain members of the bridge crew take note of the fact that he seems to be anticipating the imminent battle. Back underground, Data awakens and quickly revives the captain and doctor as all three try to figure out exactly what happened. Baudreau, furious that Riker has betrayed her, tells them everything she knows about the skull and its effect. She says, The skull overwhelms you with pleasure like a drug until it controls you. Then you become one with the will of Doshin, and you are its tool. Naturally, the first course of action is to set themselves free, and to this end, Data starts removing rubble, but even for him it will take hours. Baudreau remembers a laser shovel nearby and digs it out. They utilize it to speed their progress. I want to see this laser shovel. (laughs) Yeah, they're just inventing a little... I don't think we see anything that you could call a laser shuttle, a shovel in TNG. Yeah. Back on the Enterprise, Troy tells Riker that she sensed anger and confusion in Zyab. See? She's sensing things from Ferengi, so... I hadn't established that they can't... It's a little inconsistent in TNG, but for the most part, she's not supposed to, right? Dun, dun, dun. Yeah. Still confident, the commander believes that the Ferengi chose the wrong man to mess with. He moves over to hug her, but she is resistant, pointing out that her main concern at the moment is the problem at hand and the fact that Captain Picard is dead. Yeah. Uh, Interesting thing, though. Shouldn't she sense that he's lying about Picard being dead? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, or sense Picard and Beverly as well. Yeah. Now that they're conscious. Yeah, this, this had some problems to work out. Anyway, so Troy then leaves the room, and meanwhile in sickbay, Roark has come to again and is telling Beverly of the skull and the effect it's had on Baudreau, and that she's the one who actually pushed him into the pit where he was injured. Hmm. Beverly tells him of what's happened and notes almost to herself how Riker seems to have changed. 
It is Roark's opinion that the commander must be under the influence of the skull as well. Calling a private meeting between herself, Troy, and Wes, Beverly explains what she's discovered and what she believes to be wrong with number one. And, and why does is number Wesley one there? Okay. Because he's, he's a interacting. <laughs> oh, 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 sorry, sorry. Be- what? Beverly's trying to keep tabs on him. I don't know. It does seem because he doesn't seem to have a because he needs to be babysat. Oh. Duh. Oh, boy. <laughs> he's an continue. important member of the crew. <laughs> anyway. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Bearing all the evidence in mind, perhaps the captain is still alive on the planet somewhere, she suggests. Troy tunes into the planet and definitely senses there is life there. So in this script, apparently, she has to tune in to the planet. Well... Like, tune in, like, you know, like like a radio station. (laughs) Frequency or something. But, I mean, of course there's life there because there's those uh, blue, or what colored skin were they? Oh, the Kakiri warriors. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, Oriental looking people. I don't know. That's okay. That, I don't like that line, but. Yeah, it's a little. Yeah. Hmm. They're trying to explain yeah. it, though. Now, here's where Wesley becomes important. Oh, okay. Beverly asks, <laughs> Beverly asks her son whether or not it would be possible to contact the planet without alerting, alerting the bridge to the fact. And he believes that he'll be able to bypass the main communication con- controls, although there's no assurance that such a move wouldn't be detected. He sets off on his mm. own, while Troy says she'll return to the bridge and do whatever she can to keep Riker under control. Yes. <laughs> Go do it, Troy. All right. So on the bridge, Riker, who suddenly seems to be growing fatigued, tells the Ferengi captain to get his people off the planet's surface immediately because he will be demonstrating the Enterprise's power by destroying the underground city. The order is given to Worf, aim photon torpedoes at the heart of Izol. All right. Wow. Riker, who has apparently moved himself into Picard's quarters, because <laughs> he's dead and he's acting captain, supposedly. Okay. So he sits with the skull in his hands. Worf, who, like everyone else, doesn't seem to be questioning Riker's decision to destroy the underground city, because, hey, Worf likes to destroy stuff anyway. <laughs> so he pipes in on the communication channel, reminding the commander that he's awaiting the order to fire. Riker comes out of meditation and says he'll be right there. By the time he returns to the bridge, Riker seems completely rejuvenated and ready to destroy. And it actually says in the script, ready to destroy. (laughs) Those words. (laughs) Troy approaches him, stating that this course of action may not be the right one. His only response is to smile, I think that's the fourth time, (laughs) as he turns to Worf to give the order. Troy touches his hand, saying that they should have some time together before things start to heat up. Hmm. Okay. Agreeing, he leaves the bridge with her. Meanwhile, Wes has made his way into a Jeffrey's tube and manages to send a signal down to the planet. Boudreaux is the one who manages to pick it up on the archaeological team's communication system. Picard gets on the channel, desperately seeking information as to what's going on. The boy quickly explains, and Picard says that he and the others will get to the surface so they can be beamed aboard. Riker and Troy, in the meantime, have gone to the captain's ready room. No, sorry, the captain's room, his quarters. When Jordy contacts the commander, explaining that there has been unauthorized transmission from the ship. Furious, he makes his way back to the bridge, ranting of spies running rampantly aboard the Enterprise and wanting to find the person guilty of unauthorized communication to be brought to him immediately. So Riker orders the destruction of the city, but is interrupted by Troy's objections and contact from the Ferengi vessel with Saeb, demanding that the Enterprise either depart this area of space or make the first move against them. The commander is delighted by the challenge. Beverly and Wes get into the transporter room and beam up their people just as the Kakiri warriors are surrounding them. 
Riker, who is still on the bridge, is shocked when he hears Picard's voice speaking to him over the comm channel. I don't know why he should have been shocked, because he knows he didn't kill him, and he knows that there's been an unauthorized communication, but whatever. Good point, yeah. <laughs> yeah. His immediate response is that the Ferengi have cloned Picard and the others and somehow devised a way to get them on the Enterprise without being detected. There's no choice. They must be destroyed. So is it almost like he's believing that they're dead because the skull told him or something? That's weird that he's like ranting about they must be clones. I think he's just trying to (laughs) come up with any rationale to get the crew against Picard and the doctor. This is the first time we talked about a Picard clone, though. Yeah. (laughs) All right. So then Riker is angry, goes to the captain's quarters, and grabs the crystal skull, which he brings with him back to the bridge. He tells Worf that the crew can't be trusted, and he wants the Klingon to join him. They move into the turbo lift, which brings them to the battle bridge. Troy tells the captain via the intercom that Riker has gone to the battle bridge and that the situation between the Enterprise and the Ferengi vessel is heating up. Then, Geordi makes the discovery that Riker and Worf have cut off the turbo lift, essentially stranding themselves in the battle bridge and keeping everyone else out. Picard's instinct is that Riker is going to separate the saucer section from the rest of the ship. The captain wants to be beamed onto the battle bridge, but the operator tells him that Riker has erected a force field which will repel all attempts. On the battle bridge, Riker wants Worf to separate from the saucer section, open fire on the city, and prepare to engage the Ferengi vessel. Even the Klingon has some problems with this. Riker merely smiles, <laughs> again. pointing out that the, <laughs> again five times there. Riker merely smiles, pointing out that this is a day that will seal their destinies and will no doubt result in their each receiving their own commands. Before Worf can respond, Picard's image appears on the main viewer. The captain trying desperately to talk Riker out of this dangerous action. The commander tells Worf to cut off the channel, but the Klingon doesn't do it as Picard tells Will to think for himself, to try to overcome the influence of the skull that is controlling him. Riker tries to laugh this claim of control off, but he starts glancing at the bag containing the skull thirstily. Moving toward the bag, he tells Worf to open fire, but the Klingon merely asks, what's in the bag? Hmm. Again, Riker is furious, trying to get past Worf so that he himself can launch the photon torpedoes, but Worf pulls him away. Naturally, the Klingon is is turning out victorious, but Riker grabs the skull and his strength is instantly renewed. The skull is knocked out of his hand. Riker grabs a phaser and fires, but Worf is too quick, and the beam finds its mark on the skull. (gasps) So, yeah. Oh, no. (laughs) No sooner has this happened than Riker collapses to the ground. The skull is now revealed to have a blackened, burned-out core with a cracked crystal coating. Later, on the bridge, Picard is back in command with Worf bringing him what's left of the skull for his inspection. Data scanners indicate that there is no longer any power in it. Beverly pipes in stating that Riker is going to be okay and he'll be in control of his own mind. As word reaches the captain that the Ferengi force has beamed back up, he has Tasha assemble her own people and beam down, then contacting Zayeb and firmly explaining that they are on an official Federation mission, and if any further Ferengi forces beam down, it will be seen as an act of aggression. Zayab wants an explanation for Riker, but the captain rather smugly says there's no reason to explain anything. He also mentions that they do not have the crystal skull. (laughs) Yeah, okay. Um, Zayab considers this for a moment, flares with anger, and then Enterprise sensors detect the Ferengi vessel breaking orbit and setting off for deep space. 
In sickbay, Riker comes to and finds Picard, Troy, Worf, and Beverly standing around him. He tries to apologize for everything that happened, but Picard says that his actions were successful in getting the Ferengi off the planet, and that in itself has to be worth something. They'll discuss everything at a later time. The end. So, thoughts on this and whether you'd like to see it, uh, Amy? I definitely want to see it. It it's okay. very fleshed out, I think, for um, especially compared to previous Lost episodes that we've discussed. Like, it's got a lot of uh, sub or plot Bs, you know, sort of with him and mm-hmm. Troy and and uh, Picard on the ground. I love, love, love the use of the battle bridge because I don't think we get to see that nearly enough. Not too much. Yeah. yeah. So I love that. And I really like uh, the ending scene with him and Worf and that struggle there because that relationship and that friendship, um, I think, really develops more in the season. So I like seeing that so early on, if this were to have happened in season one. Um, I I think it's great. I think it's definitely a story that's been told before, you know, someone under the control and you know, and then shenanigans. You know what it made two. me think of? It actually made me think of the episode, The Battle, where the Ferengi finds the Stargazer and has this device that has Picard under his control and he's going to like another ship or area in order to fire and they have to destroy the device. Yeah, I was thinking of that right? one too, definitely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I didn't like you... the Ferengi just, you know, turned around <laughs> and just left. left. Oh, okay. Yeah. I'm like, wait a minute, isn't this your you know, home world, you're, I'm, I'm sorry, we're running out of time in the script. You have to leave. (laughs) Yeah. You know, and, oh, and I also liked, uh, that Picard has got his back. So, you know, to the Ferengi, it's like, well, there's no need to apologize. And, you know, even in front of the others, well, you did get the Ferengi to leave and we'll discuss the other things in private, you know, because there's definitely some other things to discuss. But yeah, yeah, I wonder if it would have been a better ending if somehow there was some residue of something Riker had gotten from the skull that allows him to direct the Enterprise to quickly like disable their shields or their ship or something, right? Instead of just, oh, okay, I'm sorry, we'll leave. Yeah. <laughs> well, and I also like oh, one more thing, and then I'll yeah. let Richard talk. Uh, I also like just that. It's so Picard to get on the screen and say, you know, overcome it with your mind, mind over matter. You know, that's just such a Picard thing to expect and to do and, you know, to encourage Will to overcome it because that's who we are. We can, you know, make our own own choices and it's just total Picard. Loved it. But Troy knows him really well. I wonder if if it would have made sense for her to convince him. Over the view screen. Yeah, I think either one would have worked, but I, with his mm. leadership style, I think it was good for the captain to do that. Okay. Richard, your thoughts on the Crystal Skull? Hmm. I was just thinking whether or not I want to see it or not. <laughs> okay. I, um, I don't know. It's, it's, um, I could, I mean, I could, I could definitely see why they probably didn't use it. Um, why do you only think? Because lots of con- there was a lots of conflict. I mean, it's because he's under the possession of this thing. But no, I understand yeah. that. But I'm saying, like, you know, as in um, that, uh, how would you recover from that? You know what I mean? Like, how would you? Re- uh, how I mean, I don't know. How do you recover in, from I mean, being assimilated by the Borg? <laughs> 
No, 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 I no. Mean, that's not what I mean. I mean, yeah. like you know, um, actively trying to, uh, trying to, you know, it's like it's it's different when you're when you're doing mm. when it was the board because it was like a little disconnected. You know, it wasn't his fault. He was in a sense, mm. you know, catatonic dude, and um, you know possessed by the Borg, but I'm just saying like, you know, this is actual, you know, the Crystal Skull would bring out his actual, uh, his, um, what his desires are, but amplifying it, obviously, mm-hmm. in a negative way. But um, I was just thinking like, how would you recover from that, like from a reddish perspective um, yeah. in the next episode? You know what I mean? That's what I mean by mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. Um, not, not obviously the character, but I'm just saying like, I just, I was just trying to think of something that would, rec- uh, how would you change that around? Um, the next episode, but what, what, but what uh, was that? That's a good yeah. question. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, but like, I, I was just thinking about. It, I was like, I think this. W- I mean, obviously, with changes in the script, I think this would work in DS Nine. Huh. In some aspect. Oh, maybe like I think maybe like work. they they find something like this in the planet they're exploring in the Gamma Quadrant early on or something. Right, like a lost, mm-hmm. you know, colony or something like that. It doesn't even have to be the home world of the Ferengi or something like mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. But like, you know, I mean, obviously you would have to change the, you know, uh, detecting empathy and or whatever inhibition and all that. And then you could have, have Vosh have come by, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, instead of you still could, <laughs> yeah, you, you very well still could, yeah, exactly. But or you could just stumble on it for whatever reason yeah. or whatever. <laughs> I mean, but I was just thinking it, it would. I think uh, that would work really well in DS Nine. Um, mm, I could because I mean they do a lot of Ferengi stories. That's true. So, yeah, that's true. Well, and yeah. at the time, you know, the Ferengi were you know planned to be the villains, the big of bad TNG, villain. Yeah. You know? So I think mm-hmm. it fits in definitely with the mindset of where they were wanting to go with TNG. It just didn't work out. I think it's right. uh, again if they wanted the Ferengi to be the bad villains, like they wouldn't have turned and left so easily like that should have been worked out a little bit better if these are truly villains but i could see like uh captain cisco like being this like you know like you know the evils uh uh, i mean obviously if we didn't have the the uh Uh the you know mirror universe i could see him being like evil just something to see him differently you know what i mean maybe like um, a full full episode where he's kind of like you know the one where uh it's uh jedzia jantara and there's all of these different like hosts that that people are uh yeah getting into and and he becomes uh yeah and and Mm -hmm. when he becomes Duran, he is scary he's seriously scary so i could totally see avery books like eating that up he's creepy and he's got those contacts and everything i think I think they changed his eye really color, and and that's a crazy one because apparently the first take was like too creepy. It was like a really bare like whisper. So what you actually see is less creepy than what you see, which is really Mm. creepy. But anyway, I want to see that. Yeah, I I don't know if that's available anywhere, but (laughs) but yeah, that that would be great. But also, I think like if if it was done like this in TNG, it would be a great opportunity for. Jonathan Frakes to stretch the Riker character and like what he could do mm-hmm. because I think it's rare that you get something like this. That's a really Riker focused story. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. and yeah. yeah, I like that. I sort of felt like again, sort of similar to many problems of season one is that there were so many characters that they were trying to utilize all of them, and there mm-hmm. was a couple times I'm like, well, why is Worf? Why, why isn't Tasha? you know, doing this yeah. or why is Wesley even in this or why isn't Jordy <laughs> the one sending down the communications, you know, know. like that's a Jordy thing. Yeah. Like 
there was just so many people, they didn't really know yeah. exactly how to utilize them the best. But I do like the fact that they tried to get everyone in there. Yeah. But I agree. I mean, like in this one, Tasha gets to do barely anything. Yeah. Like she should really be doing the things mm-hmm. that Worf is doing as security yeah. chief. But, you know, that's interesting. So, okay. I, I mean, I think I would have been really interested to to see it. I mean, I think it could have been a really effective story that, that would have been great with some changes. Um, but yeah, never. Ha- I mean, apparently it was serious because I, I think I read that Paramount purchased the the script, but oh. for whatever reason they just didn't use it. Couldn't figure mm. out a way to use it. So, like going back to the guesses, do we feel like anybody came close to what happens? No, well, of course not. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of, I mean, because like a good majority of them were. Indiana well, Jones. we only read one about Indiana Jones. A couple Jones, of them like, were yeah. like, you know, yeah. archaeology, which it was. Which uh, it was, yeah. Ancient civilization well, yeah. and unknown artifact or, you know, this artifact. And oh, I'm sorry, every time you uh, mentioned that the skull was in a leather bag, I just had <laughs> Temple of Doom, you know, where he exchanged it and puts it in this leather bag. That's all I could think of yeah. was Indiana Jones. So I think people I got know. that part right. I got that part. I mean, and yeah, Temple of Doom had come out before then. So maybe they were thinking, the writer was thinking about that. The but. chakra uh, yes, stones exactly, or whatever yeah. the hell they're called. Yeah. I was thinking um, Raiders of the Lost Ark, the skull, what he takes, mm. what he takes, what he gets, um, you know, chased after that big oh, yeah. ball. Yeah, yeah. So I, I don't know if you guys know the background, but an interesting thing about crystal skulls. Do you know how that's kind of come into like storytelling? Um, because no? I was reading about it on Wikipedia, and it's kind of interesting. If you does it have curious. anything to do with the Aztecs? Well, let me read you what it says. Okay. <laughs> So um, so this is reading directly from the Wikipedia article on, on crystal skulls. So crystal skulls are human skull hardstone carvings made of clear or milky white quartz, also known as rock crystal, claimed to be pre-Columbian Mesoamerican artifacts by their alleged finders. However, these claims have been refuted for all of the specimens made available for scientific studies. Mm. The results of the studies demonstrated that those examined were manufactured in the mid-19th century or later, almost certainly in Europe, during a time when interest in ancient culture was abundant. Despite some claims presented in an assortment of popularizing literature, legends of crystal skulls with mystical powers do not figure in genuine Mesoamerican or other Native American mythologies and spiritual accounts. So it's something that some people just kind of made up. Wow. <laughs> like in the 1800s. And it just kind of took off from there as something you see in a lot of fiction, right? Yeah. Yeah. So I thought that was interesting. I didn't know about that. Hmm. So this writer was taking from that. So... Yeah, I mean, I think that that generally for the guesses, yeah, I think some people got archaeology or a little Indiana Jones-ish kind of stuff, or maybe people being possessed, but not quite. And sorry, Bruce, Barclay does not get his head stuck in the dilithium chamber, (laughs) although I'm sure he didn't expect that, so. Oh, there was a question I had. Um, Oh, yeah, so the crystal skull affected Riker, but he wasn't the only one Mm -hmm. to touch it. So why was it only affecting him? Like, did it choose him? Mm -hmm. It's a good question. It sounds like it did. Because like originally Boudreaux has it and it seems like it's affecting her, but then he's like, oh, give me that. (laughs) that Yeah, and then it shifted. Yeah. It's well, but he's always been a charismatic, you know, like 
He has the charisma for is, the skull. It, yeah, I mean, maybe it was like Ooh, it was Riker. attracted to him. I mean, I mean, his his personality has always been strong on yeah. uh, in the series. So, yeah. I mean, I I can only imagine that's that's probably a, I mean a plausible reason. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, if the crystal skull is going to. Uh, imbue you with power, then it's going to select someone with the most charismatic and most powerful and yeah personality. Mm-hmm. So I guess yeah, mm-hmm. okay. I mean, you kind of have to when you're when you're lifting up your leg and everything. Right, <laughs> the Riker maneuver. Maybe maybe they were going to add a scene where he he lifts up his leg and the skull is like, well, that's the one for me. <laughs> <laughs> like it's a love story or something like that. <laughs> oh boy, that's him. <laughs> <laughs> that it it is the Riker. <laughs> it's meant for me. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, that sounds like an amazing story. Uh, Amy, final thoughts? I am very intrigued by this. I think it is a story that's you know pretty commonly told of getting possessed, trying to take over, and then being stopped, and then the artifact gets destroyed. You know, I think there's definitely elements that we see in later uh, TNGs, like we talked about um, the Ferengi, the mind one. What was that called again? Oh, the battle. The battle, yeah. The yeah. battle. And mm-hmm. a little bit of like the chase. I don't know. That came to my mind with the Iconians and stuff like that. So um, I. I like that they got to use all the characters. I just think it's great. Um, definitely a season one, obviously with Tasha in it, but yeah, sort yeah. of Wesley and and Beverly hanging out. Not too much for them. I sort no. of wish that Beverly had could understand the doctor and maybe that she could have played a more active role in you know turning the tables against Riker. Um, I mm-hmm. like the Riker and Troy moment, of course. A um, little sad that he can only tell her her feel- his feelings when he's under this, you know, impression of the crystal skull. But that's okay. Yeah. Um, I am a little disturbed that he smiles all the time, but maybe. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's evil when he's smiling. Yeah, apparently. maybe the writer just really liked how Riker smiled. Yeah, is it like? Full of teeth smile, or is it like a, a grimace, smirk, a smile? smirk? I don't know. I mean, the, the, I, I think the thing is, this may have been early on enough that they hadn't actually seen anything filmed yet. Mm. It's quite possible, yeah. but they were just like, oh, well, maybe a villain would just have a big smile. Yeah, well, you know, <laughs> insert or zoom in on the face. You know how they do that, the <laughs> drama, soap opera, dun, dun, dun. Yeah. <laughs> look, at, look at that smile. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So oh, I wow. I really <laughs> I think this is a definite winner and I would have loved to have seen this. I think it would have been great in season one. Um, still getting to know the characters. Um, yeah, I like it. It's a winner for me. I think it would have ruined the whole like Riker smiling at all. You know, like you know at the mm. you know the female guest character of the week or whatever you know when he smiles you know you, you know that smile yes, that he does oh, we you know, know yeah when he's like interested in everything i think that would ruin know, every it time he smiled we, afterwards like, you'd be like is he being possessed by yeah that could be <laughs> <laughs> maybe they would have, yeah you're right because he does maybe yeah, they would have had, smile a bit, but what would they have had him do would it just be i don't know well that's why i was asking is it full of teeth or is it that <laughs> smile that he always does when he does the 
when he sees the, the attractive woman on the show. You know, Jonathan know, Frakes is such a great actor that each of those smiles would have been different and conveyed <laughs> a different emotion. I'm confident of that. Yeah. Okay. Frakes, if you're listening, we want to know. <laughs> <laughs> well, I um, I actually, I mean, I like the story. I just, I, I mean, obviously there are several tweaks that we they would it would, it would have to uh, be done. Um, but I mean, I can see it working. I mean, like I said, I, I I just I question how they would recover. That's that's my only issue with it. I mean, it sounds like a great story, but I just question how they would recover for something like that. And then, like I said, you know, his smile. I mean, maybe if it was someone else um, that was possessed, and then no, that wouldn't work because how would you do the if uh, Worf the was possessed thing? and he was smiling all the time, that would everyone work. would know. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Yes. So like yes. Oh my god. Because he never smiles. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's right. Yeah. So I, I guess Worf would I don't know. Um obviously tweaks would have to be. Or even uh, Picard, because he like, it's yeah. not too often that he has a big right. smile. But yeah. Somehow they picked Riker who's the one you see smile the most, probably. You know, and that's troubling, you know. <laughs> you don't see him smile. Yeah, that's I mean, he's you know he's possessed by an alien entity when he's buying everyone drinks and singing intent forward. So that says something about what you usually yeah. see from Picard. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Or at least a twenty fourth century equivalent to buying a drink. Yeah. <laughs> Use it as Set the halls for everyone. Like <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I th- I mean it's a great it sounds like a great episode and, and very interesting episode. So Yeah, I am yeah. I don't have much yeah. to say except I completely agree. I mean, it needed some changes, but it would have been really interesting, and I would have liked to have it instead of Angel One. <laughs> <gasps> did you just <laughs> say that? <laughs> yeah, I did. <laughs> wow. Sorry, Angel One's not my. But you're thing. lucky you're in Waco. <laughs> I'm in El Paso. No, I'm yeah. Oh, I'm sorry, El Paso. <laughs> I meant that's what I meant. <laughs> anyway, oh. uh, okay. Anyway, it would be a good episode. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> good yeah very much so so uh next week uh, i think amy should be talking about this one amy why don't you tell us what we're doing next week after missing two badass episodes we are going to do a badass episodes with me here so that means you listeners guessed it It's going to be Troy Badass Moments, and I am very looking forward to talking about all of her badass moments. I'm sure you could come up with some of your own as well, listeners, so looking forward to recording that with you guys. I have one in mind that you may not uh, think of, so we'll see what happens. Okay. A little bit out of the box choice. We'll see. (laughs) But yeah, I'm looking yeah, forward we've been to that. Hol- uh, go ahead. No. Go ahead. Yeah. No, I, I'd say, but I'm, I'm looking forward to it. I'm sorry we've tended to do these things when you're away, but for Troy, we have to do it with you for sure. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, we've been we've been teasing her and uh, holding a carrot in front of her. Here's the Troy moment <laughs> one. <laughs> but we're gonna do it, so it's gonna be awesome. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, it's been so much fun talking about last episodes of The Next Generation today, but that isn't the only thing we've been talking about here on the network. Here's what you might have missed elsewhere on Trek FM. Previously on Trek.FM, the 602 Club. But it's the moment, literally the moment that Halle Berry opens her mouth 
that the dialogue in this film goes completely south because yeah. every single thing that she and Bond say from that point is a pun to each other. Yeah. Earl Grey. I, I do wonder if a bunch of them were holographic because we know part mm. of that room is holographic, but at the same time... <laughs> Bruce can't believe we're talking about holographic cats. Is that holographic it? cats. There's a holographic Star iguana in Voyager. <laughs> <laughs> But my other theory, of course, is he has so many cats at this time, because if you take my earlier theory about there being multiple spots, <laughs> Gaina doesn't have a lot of luck with cats. So he's just, oh, you know, no. he's, he's got like 10 of them. Because... So wait, are you saying that all the cats in his Cambridge place are all named Spot? <laughs> <laughs> well, I am now. <laughs> he's like, Jordy, welcome to my place. Oh, don't sit on spot. Oh, and spots over there on the mantle. Oh, and there's another spot over there. My place is filled with spots. <laughs> Data's cats are like the queue. It's just the spot continuum. They're all called spot. The Edge, a Star Trek Discovery podcast. And I decided every week for the rest of the run of Discovery, I would dedicate myself to not only that show, but also to giving back to the fans to some extent in any way I, I could uh, with these episode posters. Warp 5. Okay, so Frankenstein kills a couple people, mm -hmm. right? Kills an old man, kills an old woman, scares a bunch of people, goes on the run, scares some girl guides, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, some Girl Scout guides, yep. Girl Scout guides, mm -hmm. takes her cookies. Yeah. And that's what else is happening on Trek.fm. Check out all these shows and join the conversation about your favorite corner of the Star Trek universe and beyond. You'll find us wherever you get your podcasts. If you're an Apple user, be sure to hit the subscribe button and Apple Podcasts on iPhone, iPad, or Apple TV, or the desktop iTunes app to get the latest episodes as soon as they are published. And please leave us a star rating and written review. That helps others to find the show. If you're not an Apple user, we've got you covered as well. You can find our shows on Google Play Music, Stitcher, TuneIn, Spreaker, SoundCloud, YouTube, Windows Phone, and most third-party apps. And you can stream and download the MP3 file from our website or grab the RSS link. We'd love to hear your thoughts on today's show, and there are many ways you could do that. The best place is to join the larger conversation, the, ba the Babel Conference, our listener group on Facebook. Just type Babel, that's B-A-B-E-L, into the search field on Facebook, and it should come right up. If you'd like to send us an email, you can use the form on our website at trek.fm slash contact. Choose to send to a show and select Earl Grey. That will come right to us, and we might read your email on the show, just like we did today. You can also find the network on Twitter at trek.fm and on Facebook at facebook.com slash trek.fm. So, Richard, where can people contact you when you're not finding crystal skulls on away missions? I don't know. I might be commandeering other shows. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you, you just have a, a big grin and you'll just be in every every podcast on Trek FM. I would hope I would, don't have a creepy smile. <laughs> <laughs> well, you guys can find me on Facebook. I pop in here and there on the Babel Conference. And, yes, if anyone... Out of the 39 people that's following me, <laughs> I have been Two of whom uh, are ramping here. up my... Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> I've been ramping up my uh, Twitter um, 
uh, feed uh, in the last couple of weeks. So you can find me there at X Ransom. So, Amy, uh, where can people contact you when you're not somehow reading Ferengi feelings? Well, when I'm not doing that somehow, that's just my added powers of the crystal skull, I guess. Um, you can find me here on the network. I am on The Edge with Patrick Devlin, and that's we talk about Star Trek Discovery. And with the short treks on, you can also find me on Postcards from The Edge. You can find me on Twitter at Miss Amy Nelson, and I am currently tweeting about my season five Deep Space Nine rewatch. I can now say rewatch because I've gotten to the point where I have seen them all now from yay. here on out. But mm. yay! And my favorite place there is on the Babel Conference on Facebook, so you can find me there too. So, Justin, where can people contact you when you're not taking over the Battle Bridge? When I'm not taking over the Battle Bridge, hmm, that must mean I'm a wharf. Right? Or does that mean I'm Riker? Riker. Hmm, okay. Well, Mm. when I'm not doing that and smiling, when I'm not doing that, you can find me on Twitter. I'm at TrekFan4747, where I tweet about nothing but Star Trek. Currently tweeting out my Season 6 rewatch of The Next Generation. Almost done with Season 6. And you can find me hanging around the Babel Conference on Facebook. If you'd like to help us keep all our shows coming to you each week, you can become a patron of the network on Patreon. Visit patreon.com slash trekfm. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n.com slash trekfm to get all the details. Perks include early access to episodes, exclusive content, producer credits, and more, available through our special patrons website, The Patron Zone. It requires a great deal of money to produce, host, and distribute these shows each month. We really appreciate any support you can give us and hope you'll join the team. Again, you'll find all the details at patreon.com slash trekfm. We'd like to take this opportunity to recognize our current associate producers, Norman Lau, Justin Ozer, Michael Huter, and Thomas Appel. Thank you for supporting Trek FM and Earl Grey. So join us next time for another cup of Earl Grey. Great joy and gratitude. Insert Riker smile here. Today is a good day to die! <laughs>